Good morning, North River. I'm grateful that we can still meet together virtually. And uh, we're starting a new series today. And we've been fixing our eyes on Jesus all year. Today, we're starting a seven-week series. And, and today is the introduction. And it's titled Practicing the Way. And we're going to be digging through this together. Today's the whole time we're together today is going to be the introduction. So I'm not going to say much about it right now. We're just going to go in and jump in. So you can grab your Bibles. We're going to Matthew chapter 11. And before that, though, I did want to give a shout out because Nick Schaff and I have uh, joined the Bald for Bucks movement. And so this is with Hope Worldwide. And what it is, it's, a, it's just a, a fun way to raise more money for the COVID relief fund. And so uh, we've raised through this Bald for Bucks about $27,000, $28,000 right now. Once it reaches $30,000, Nick Schaff and I are shaving our heads. So if you ever wondered what we look like bald, it's coming. And so you can go to Hope Worldwide, get the link, donate to their COVID relief. But if you do it through Bald for Bucks, it's also going to get closer to us shaving our heads. I did want to give out a shout out to, uh, you know, Joseph from campus shaved his head a few weeks ago uh, for this. Way to go, bro. But then also want to just thank the guys that have paved the way for baldness. So to Jeff Reese, Mike Eldred, and, and Billy Tolick, thank you guys for just paving the way for us to go bald. Don't beat me up later, Billy. <laughs> but we're going to be looking into Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I wanted to start here because especially during this time, I think a lot of us can feel this, this weariness, this burden. And whether it's the weariness of just being trapped inside in the quarantine and the kids at home or whether it's just the burden of trying to figure out how to homeschool or try to figure out, you know, emotional things or just the burden of injustice that's happened recently or the the burden of, you know, the poor and, and, and the pain that's going on in this world. And I, so I think it's a great passage for us to start with. But I think if we're honest, a lot of us probably have some beef with this scripture where the rest that it's talking about, we can want it so dearly, but then when we look at our own lives, we don't feel like we have much rest. And we can feel like that doesn't characterize us, even though Jesus says, when you come to me, you have this rest for your soul. Why is that? And I wanted to start here because I think this sets up what we're going to be talking about. You know, a few weeks ago, we started talking about workism. And workism is when you go to work for your identity rather than going to God for your identity. And what that does is it puts you on the treadmill of the ever-going machine because work can never truly fulfill you like God can. And so you fill up your schedule with so many things. But it doesn't just stop when you leave work. The other thing we talked about was how if Satan can't make you sin, then he'll make you busy. And that busyness doesn't just stop at work. Because when you come home, we're bombarded by the age of entertainment. It is the great carnivore of our time, our attention, and our emotional focus. And there's some crazy stats that I think are appalling with entertainment. The average person spends 2,737 hours watching TV a year. 
For all of you that don't have calculators for brains, that's seven over seven hours a day on TV, on average. And when I heard that, I was like, I can't be right. And so I went to different sites and different researches and different studies, and they were all pointing towards the same statistic. And then there's this other stat that the average person spends 751 hours on social media a year. That's over two hours a day. And that's on average. So that includes older people and really young kids. And so the millennials and the teens, they're spending way more than two hours a day on social media. But this is over nine hours of our day just consumed by entertainment and the ever busyness of life. And yet for a lot of us, it can be hard to to read our Bible in a year. And I found this stat that if you read your Bible for every night for one hour, then you can finish reading your Bible in six months. And yet we feel like we don't have enough time to read the Bible in a year, but it made it, it's because it's getting sucked away into so many other things. And man, it, it, it's all of this that has been defined in, by psychiatrists and sociologists as hurry sickness. And what hurry sickness is, they're saying it's this plague, it's this epidemic, this pandemic that's plaguing our world long before COVID ever hit us. And it can be defined as a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. And another definition is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. And man, when I read that and I think about me, I go, whoa, yes, that's me. I want to get more done faster. I want to figure out how to multitask in a way to go faster and faster. I want to, and then when I have a schedule and I get interrupted and there's a delay in what I wanted to get done, I do get flustered. Man, this hurry sickness is so real in my life. And I think for a lot of our lives, But when we start to think about our addiction to accomplishment and how our phones have become another appendage to us instead of a device and how much our time is sucked into so many different things, I wanna encourage all of us to not just to think about what you're doing, but to think about who you're becoming and to ask yourself, what is this life of speed making us become? And who are we becoming with this life of speed in our modern day culture? Are we becoming the men and women that Jesus wants us to be? You know, different studies are saying the opposite. You know, a a study by the American Psychiatric Association says that 39% of Americans reported being more anxious than they were a year ago. So instead of becoming more peace at peace with God, instead of becoming more joyful and more content, we're becoming more anxious. And when we stop to think about what really matters most to God, like what's the greatest value in the kingdom of God. Well, that's love, right? You know, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God of all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. And the second is equally like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But love is incredibly time consuming. For, for all of us that are married or that have kids or a best friendship, we know, man, love takes time and it's slow. Hurry is completely incompatible with love. It does not fit together. It does not go together. The more you're at rush and the more that you're hurried, the harder it is to love. 
Just think about it, man, a long time ago. We can barely remember when we used to have family outings. Like, I, remember that time when we actually used to go meet together at church as a family? When was that? <laughs> just, it seems like so long ago. But man, in our household, if we're running late to church, love was not the first thing on our hearts, right? Like if we're rushing and grabbing the last thing and someone's already in the car waiting on the other person, when we get to the car on the way to church, it's silence. And the person who caused us to be late between Toy and I is sitting there just praying, I pray that they don't blame me. And then the other person is sitting there silently fuming and blaming the other person for being late. I mean, love is nowhere to be seen when we're hurried, when we're rushed. Hurry is completely incompatible with love. And so should we just throw our phones out the window and drop our jobs? And No, 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 of, of course not. Why don't we go back to Matthew 11? Because I think there's an insight in the words that Jesus used. Matthew 11, right there in the center as he's talking about rest, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's very interesting that he used the word yoke. And yes, that means teaching. But if you think about it, a yoke, right? It's the wooden beam between oxen that when a farmer wanted to go work and plow the fields, he would use this, this yoke between oxen to pull the plow. So it was a work instrument. So in the middle of talking about rest, he brings up this work instrument. Why? I love this quote by uh, Frederick Bruner. He's a top scholar on the Gospel of Matthew, and it's kind of long, but I want to read the whole thing, so I think it's beautifully written. It says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what, he, what we might think tired workers need less. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities, realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, that's his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. And this is so insightful. What if we have been doing this wrong? What if we've tried to bring in Jesus's teachings, but we've kept the lifestyle of our modern day culture? What if we've tried to bring in the teachings of Jesus, but we're still living out the way of American society instead of the way of Jesus? Because remember, Jesus says that he's the truth and he's the life, but he's also a way. There's another quote by uh, John Mark Comer, and I've really appreciated Comer. read one of his books recently, listened to a lot of his podcasts and things. It's really shaped my mind on a lot of this material, even a lot of his sermons kind of, you know, built on things I've learned from him. But he says the Western church has lost sight of the fact that the way of Jesus is just that, a way of life. It's not just set a set of ideas, what we call theology, or a list of do's and don'ts, what we call ethics. I mean, it is that, but it's so much more. It's a way of life based on that of Jesus himself, a life style. And man, I can feel like that's me. If I'm honest, I can make so much of my Christianity about three things. About one, man, holding to right doctrine. 
Two, not sinning. And then three, making disciples. And, okay, time out. We should hold to those things, right? We need to, that, those things have been watered down in this day and age. So many people just got those things wrong. We need to desperately say, man, there's a true doctrine. And there's, man, you need to get rid of your sin. We should go out and evangelize the world and make disciples. Yes. But there's so much more. And there's so much more to this lifestyle, this way of Jesus. You see, you cannot experience the life of Jesus without adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. What do I mean by that? As you look at Jesus, you see an, an overabundant amount of love and of joy and of peace and purpose and fulfillment. And if we want to experience all those things in our lives, then we have to adopt the way that Jesus lived, his habits, his patterns, his lifestyle. And that takes us over to John 15. So go to John 15 with me. And, uh, you know, this verse was honestly kind of confusing with me for, to me for a while. Some of my uh, greatest heroes in the faith, like Alex Jackson and Steve Brand, would show me this or teach this. I remember Ajax saying this is one of his favorite verses. And I, was, I was always kind of confused, honestly. But let's read it and talk about it a little bit. John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You have already, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the reason that this scripture always confused me so much is because this tiny word remain, you know, in verses four and five, it's mentioned five times and it's throughout the entire section. Go back and read John 15 yourself. And, and it's translated in all kinds of different ways. You know, abide in me, stay with me, remain united with me, live in me. It's all the same concept of abiding, of remaining. And for me, I'm a doer. I'm a type A. Man, give me something to do. Give me a war to fight. Give me, give me a battle to jump into. Give me something to, to, to grasp and I'll do it. But remain? How do you remain? Like, what does it mean to abide? Like, do I get an accomplishment for that? Like, okay, hey, bro, great job. You remain in your clothes all day. Good job. Like, I mean, what, what does it mean to remain? I was always so confused by that. And so I learned recently some pretty cool things that, you know, the ancients... Uh, would call this a rule of life. And it started with the desert monks in the third century and then St. Benedict in the sixth century really popularized this idea. And basically it was an idea to, rem to remain. You needed to adopt Jesus's lifestyle, his teachings, his habits, his way of life. And a rule of life, don't get so caught up about that idea of rule. What rule came from the Latin word regula. And regula also meant a straight piece of wood. Think of like a ruler to measure something. And so the ancient leaders in the church went back to this John 15. And they said, well, okay, this the vine and the branches, this vineyard. And for any, in any vineyard, for it to bear fruit, it needed a regula. It needed this wooden structure called a trellis. 
And what a trellis was, is it was this wooden structure that allowed the vines to grow straight up. You know, vines usually grow on the ground or up a tree, but then they're able to grow straight up with almost no support. And then the fruit could then hang down. And they said, man, in order for us to bear fruit of Jesus, we need to do the same thing. And we need to adopt Jesus's structure, Jesus's habits, Jesus's practices, so that our life has the space to bear fruit. And, and all, this thing, all these things in modern times are called the spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. You are new series called Practicing the Way. And this is what we're going to be diving into for the next six weeks is, man, practicing the way of Jesus, diving into his spiritual disciplines, diving into his habits, his practices, and living out this way with Jesus. And I, all this, I, I'm learning a lot about currently in the past several months over the past year. And I want to give a shout out to a few books. You know, so many people have worked so much on this. Get, go get a book about spiritual disciplines these next few weeks. Dive into it. You know, Dallas Willard is the spirit of the disciplines. The one in the middle is kind of like, you know, the, the modern day kind of archetype for, the, for spiritual disciplines. Go get a book. Dive deep into this. Go deeper with us into Jesus's way. And with our last little bit of time, what I want to do is just talk more about these disciplines, about these practices. Dallas Willard, you know, quoted a discipline as an activity within our power that enables us to accomplish what we currently cannot do by direct effort. And so this is, this is so insightful and it, it makes the most sense in sports. So you think about sports, you think about, man, the, the incredible things elite athletes can do. Think about football. Not quite the football you were thinking, was it? But right, the bicycle kick. But the idea that you can flip upside down, kick a ball out of the middle of the air above your head, and then it has enough power to zoom past others, and it has the precision to score, that's insane. Like, how do you get there? Or, you know, think about in the real, I mean, American football, the catch, right? The Odell Beckham catch. Full extension, three arm, three finger, like, man, just elite. It broke the internet. Like, it was incredible. Just elite. But if you think about tiny, you know, Ronaldo or tiny Beckham, when they first walked onto the field, there's no way that they could do a bicycle kick. There's no way they could have a full extension, one hand catch. But through practice and through discipline, they were able to do something they currently could never think about doing. And the same thing's true of spiritual disciplines, yet it's not just physical, it's spiritual. And so if we go back to John 15, it's this idea that if we put in the effort to remain, and we put in the effort to remain in Jesus, then he will unlock things that we never thought were possible with our own efforts. And he will bear fruit with us in our lives because apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. He says, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So we put in the effort to remain. And then with Jesus and his help, he bears fruits in our lives. And so what are some of the disciplines? You know, they can be broken up into disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. And, and there's a list here. There's a lot longer list Strictly speaking, anything that Jesus did is a spiritual practice or a spiritual discipline and it, because we're following the habits of Jesus. I mean, these are kind of the most popular, the most known. So the, the disciplines of abstinence, the idea there is it's the things that we abstain from. So like fasting, we're abstaining from food. And what disciplines of abstinence do 
is that it breaks the power of modern culture on our souls. Disciplines of abstinence break the power of flesh, of our flesh on our souls. It teaches us to say no. And then we're not supposed to be empty vessels. We're supposed to be filled with something. So the disciplines of engagement. And so what the disciplines of engagement do is that we immerse ourselves in the kingdom of God. We learn to become dependent upon God and upon his kingdom. And we fill ourselves up with his glory. And so we're not going to be able to go through all of them in our, in our little series, but we are going to talk about silence and solitude, simple living, Sabbath, fasting, Bible study, service, confession, community, you know, these kind of things. It's, it's going to be a good time together. But before we end, I do want to just give three little kind of insights as we're talking about disciplines that I think will help us. So number one, these practices are not the end goal. So the idea a month from now, two months from now, isn't for you to go, man, I fasted one day a week, every week. I, man, I, I practiced Sabbath and remembered Sabbath one every day, every week, you know, the past month. I, I've, I've devoted myself and meditated on God's word every day. So I'm feeling good about myself. No, that if, if they become the end goal, then we've become legalists. Just like in, in a vineyard, the trellis, the structure isn't the end goal. The end goal is a nice cup of wine. And here, this structure is not the end goal. These habits, these practices are supposed to lead us to Jesus, remaining in Jesus and bearing fruit of Jesus and being followers full of love and of joy and of peace. That is the end goal. Number two, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? And so we look at these kind of two different sets and the list I threw up a second ago. Some of those things come natural for us and some don't depending on our personalities but balance is so important and jesus had a balance a holistic approach to his life and if we're going to practice his way then we also need balance so some are going to come very naturally for us like if you're an introvert oh yes silence and solitude thank goodness people are finally telling me to stay alone right or the, the extrovert in us man you don't got to tell me to go spend time with community right we all have some natural go-to but you're not going to have the holistic way of Jesus unless you have balance. So you got to learn to wade into the habits and disciplines you're not used to and get comfortable with being uncomfortable and get comfortable with it being a little awkward at first, a little unnatural at first. And over time, you'll get it. And that leads to discipline number three. I just called it wax on, wax off, right? We remember Mr. Miyagi, you know, and, and Daniel's son and the karate kid. And the whole idea is that repetition is king. And so Mr. Miyagi, you know, told Daniel's son to wax on, wax off, or to sweep the floor, to paint the fence or, and different things like that. And at one point, Daniel's son got ticked. And he was like, Mr. Miyagi, all you're doing is get me to clean your house. I thought you were supposed to be teaching me karate. But little did Daniel's son know that he was becoming the karate kid. And this is gonna be the same thing for us. As you practice Sabbath a couple times, after you get some silence and solitude a couple times, after you practice confession a couple times, it might feel weird, it might feel awkward at first, but over time, and you won't even realize it, Jesus is helping you become an incredible follower that's remaining in him, that's full of love and of peace and of joy. And so we're going to dive into this the next six weeks. 
And it's going to be a blast to do it together. Hey, give yourself grace, but also let yourself take some risk to try new things. But ultimately, we're, we're fighting to accept Jesus's invitation to follow me, to follow his lifestyle, to follow the habits and the patterns of his life so that we can remain in Jesus together. Let's pray now for our communion. Father God, uh, we're so grateful that you gave us the example of Jesus, the, the perfect way to live, the perfect way to have a life full of purpose, of meaning, of love, joy, and community. Thank you for showing us and giving us him. And God, I pray that as we dive into this new series and as we sit now and we take communion, we remember Jesus, that we'll learn to adopt his lifestyle and to not live life the way our culture tells us, or even the way that we tell us, but that we can adopt Jesus's habits, Jesus's disciplines, Jesus's practice, and adopt his lifestyle to remain in him. We love you, almighty God, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.